0: We'll
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by USCfootball.com. I'm your host, Keely. You're joined by Ryan Abraham and Chris Trevino. We have a fun show for you guys today. we got to break down USC's first Game of the 2021 season. It was a win over San Jose State, 30-7. So we'll talk about that and what it means for the the future of USC and the, and the future uh, season because it seemed kind of similar. I feel like it's a game, guys, that we've seen before, a season over we've seen before. So we'll talk about that. Uh, we'll talk about USC's defensive performance. They dominated on Saturday. We'll talk about red zone struggles, something we saw yesterday. And then, as always, we'll take your calls, 5124-TUNNEL. Our intern, Micah, is standing by. We already have a good amount of callers. I believe the queue is full right now, wow. which is pretty crazy. We just started. We just started. And you can also tweet at us, hashtag TunnelVision. You don't have to put our handles in. Just put hashtag TunnelVision, and we can put your tweet up on the screen. Also, wherever you're watching, Facebook, uh, YouTube, or Twitter, whatever that version is. Ryan, I know I ask you every week because mm. I don't Twitter. think Periscope has figured it out yet. Uh, put your comments, questions, concerns. We love hearing from you guys, and we love to answer your questions as best as we can. But guys, like I said... We have to break down Saturday's game. First off, Chris, thank you for coming. Yes. And you look very familiar. If I didn't see the Terps on your hat, I would have thought you were shotgun Sprintling with your little uniform.
2: These are his clothes. <laughs> and I, i for those who don't know, I hate doing this. Like, I'm, in, I'm in pain right now. Like My heart is like, and I don't want to be here. Full disclosure, I don't want to be here. But I thought it would help if I, you know... Put on the outfit, the uniform. These are his actual clothes I stole from his house last night. So after watching, I'm sorry. Um, I just felt, you know, like when kids put on the superhero costume on Halloween, they yeah. feel like Superman. Oh, okay. yeah, I like thought this would help, and it has not helped. This thing is so tight. <laughs> I don't know how he does it. It's so hot. And I and the lights and everything, this is this was a mistake. So no, you did a great I love job. his homage to shotgun Sproutling. It's great. As soon as he walks or in. Out for yeah, He's we're, not dead, but stop saying that. You <laughs> keep saying things.
3: You keep doing like this, he's not dead, (laughs) he's he's alive and well. Health health, Health 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 and safety safety protocols. protocols, Yeah. So if you went to his house, you should be quarantined, by the way. Why would you write jokes? (laughs) Sorry. Well, it's good. So by the way, just so Chris has been doing a great job on the multimedia stuff. If you hear him on Family Feud, he just really felt comfortable. He's got great jokes and stuff on there. Stepped up all week and did instant analysis. The live show maybe a little uncomfortable for him, so you know, give him your best questions. We'll get him, we'll get him warmed up in here. But he's
1: working his way in. Uh, hundred
3: dollars, whoever pulls a fire alarm in this building. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the fourth you.
1: quarter for him. He's a little shaky, <laughs> but we believe in him. Uh, but like I said, guys, uh, it seemed familiar. If I'm being honest, uh, yesterday's game, it's kind of I feel like every season opener in the Helton era kind of has a similar feel to it. What are your thoughts?
3: Yeah, you know, I was getting uh, getting some discussions on the P, on the Peristyle, so if you guys aren't part of uscfootball.com, the VIP experience, go to the Peristyle. That's where all the big-time USC fans, boosters are in there talking, and there could be some negativity from time to time in there, <laughs> uh, you know, and, you know, I, I kind of got in there with it, and it's like, look, we understand. Was this a clean performance, like Clayton talked about in the press conference after a clean game? There were some clean aspects as far as, like, one turnover, you know, not that many penalties, things like that, but... It looked like still a team that was trying to get out of its own way in certain aspects. I mean, the offense just was clunky. It didn't look like it had any sort of rhythm. And this was a team, when the defense was putting up those kind, that kind of performance, sudden change, you know, turnover, boom, they get a stop and don't give up any points. Plenty of times, they gave, it was, it was bend, but don't break, but there was a lot of just not breaking at all. The fact that the defense was keeping a very veteran San Jose State offensive line and quarterback at bay for that long – the offense could have like tripped over themselves and scored more points. You know, it really what the the fact that it became a one score game is what everyone was feeling terrible about, and that's the the, you know, the familiar feeling that we've seen you know time and time again with this team. Now it was great the Greg Johnson play. You know, one of the most pick sixes are awesome. One of the most exciting things. Chris got some great shots of that one. I'm sure Keely's got some cool video. Uh, I didn't ask her, but she might maybe she missed it. I do. So. Oh, no, yeah, I have I assume you got. Assume it. got it, yeah. Thank you. Uh, so that was a great play, and then. Uh, You know, the Eric Cromenhoek touchdown catch uh, at the end, he gets to, you know, a little, um, you know, make up for the fact that he had that fumble earlier. The biggest concern for me though, Chris, is like you want to be able to uh, sustain drives. You want to be efficient on offense. The thing with USC has been big plays. Like they got enough talent to like throw up a ball to Taj Washington and he makes a crazy catch. Um, Can you like start from the 20 and pick up a first down and then punch it in? without, like, one big play. And we, we definitely didn't see that uh, yesterday.
2: Yeah, a very herky-jerky kind of performance. And, you know, I kind of mentioned on Instant that this was sort of like a, a microcosm of everything we saw in fall and spring. You know, we we pretty much predicted to two at T that, you know, this USC offense was going to be inconsistent without a clear number two wide receiver, someone to help Drake London number fifteen out, out there. We did see improvement in the run game. I think we saw that in fall camp and that kind of showed up on Saturday. So that is an encouraging sign. But you still need a more cohesive unit because like you said, that with the effort the defense was giving, if USC just produced 50% more than what they did, this game would have been over by halftime. Yeah. And this and this would look like a really great team and a, and a really great win
3: and probably move up in the rankings if they put it all together on Saturday. Yeah. I mean, if you watched UCLA the previous week, we don't even talk about yesterday, because that was great. But like when they beat Hawaii, they beat the crap out of them early and they just sort of took your foot off the gas. This was a should have beat the crap out of them early and then you end up like scoring late to make it look like more of a blowout than it was for most of the game. So I I think that's where a lot of the fans that, that have been complaining about, I think that's where their concerns are.
1: I mean, we did come into this game warning that San Jose State is a more formidable team. They're not your normal cupcake. Uh, do you factor that in, in the fact that you're starting to uh, freshman tackles? I mean, how much do you weigh the variables of newness versus, we've seen this before, so how much of the benefit of the doubt can we give this coaching staff?
3: I think the one unique thing about this season is going to be it's sort of like when you have those NCAA tournament teams that make a run with a fifth year point guard and all that stuff you have so many super seniors all over the place we saw FCS schools we saw group of five schools hang with a lot of power five schools yesterday the Pac-12 North went one in five I mean losing to Mon- Washington lost to Montana I mean so teams that have brought back a whole bunch of dudes that you don't get for like a fifth or sixth year that was going to happen I, you know you were worried a little bit about San Jose State because they did have a maybe the most experienced offensive line in the country. And they did a good job protecting Nick Starkle. You know, it's his third program, his second year at San Jose State. So I think there were some concerns there. So that's why I'm saying like, this is a team that was experienced, that you still got, you covered the spread, you beat them by three touchdowns. But we've seen some of those more experienced teams come up and uh, compete with Power 5 teams and beat Power five team. So that was one of the things I wanted to see because we did, for the Pac 12 especially, you had such a small sample size last year. Teams played four or five games. Uh, you know, so it was, was going to be a little bit different at the start of the season. But man, it, I didn't expect what we saw, especially in the Pac 12 North, man. It was ugly.
1: Crazy. Yeah. I mean, Ryan, you and I were talking about it prior to the start. If you look at USC's opponents, the first half of the the season, how they went uh, yesterday, you have um, uh, Stanford lost. Washington State lost, Oregon State lost. Uh who am I forgetting right in Colorado?
3: Colorado won. won they but they it played was FCS Northern Colorado. Colorado. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, and Notre Dame's playing right now. So, it was an interesting <laughs> roundup for the Pac-12 North for sure.
3: It was I mean, just look at the teams. And I you know, I ask you Chris, like people were talking about San Jose State being bad. They're the you know defending Mountain West champions. I think they're going to be a pretty good team, you know. They might be better than Stanford. Stanford was was but they were awful uh you know playing Kansas State just really really bad um Oregon State they just keep making mistakes they could they had a chance at Purdue uh and you know I don't think Purdue's a great team or anything but Washington State like losing at home uh you I mean Utah State wasn't a good team it's I don't know I mean San Jose State might be better than all three of those teams that could be I don't know I don't know what you think yeah I think it was sort of the Saturday's results were kind of like
2: a double-edged sword because you could point to it like, hey, other teams weren't so lucky, or other teams looked a lot worse against you know lower FBS teams like a Fresno State or whatever. And and then, but then also USC has to look at it like, but the South looks really, really deep and really, really good this year. Yeah. So now it's like, yes, you 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 put away put away San Jose State who who, who you just said was probably better than all those other teams at the North face. But also, the South looks like it was handling their business, especially UCLA. So now it's going to be an even tougher race out there in the South for USC. So that puts a little bit more pressure knowing that, you know, that school up the street is looking a little bit impressive early.
3: Yeah, Mm -hmm. I would say before it was like winning the Pac-12 South wasn't going to be enough. It was you have to beat like Oregon or someone in the championship game. Oregon didn't look that good either. And we'll see what they do against Ohio State. It might be tougher this year to win the South as opposed to if you can win the South, maybe you you know you walk through the championship game. I don't know. It's hard. it's one week, you know, or yeah. a week and a half. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to tell. But um, I mean, even Arizona looked pretty feisty. Jed I think, is going to get them going. I don't think they're going to be a good team this year, but they were feisty against you know BYU. BYU lost a lot, but uh, that was a. I mean, they were in that one for a while. So you know, I I think all those teams. I mean, Arizona State, as long as they don't like get all their coaches suspended. I think they're going to be, you know, legit. I think Utah, for sure, um, they should have uh, won that game by more. But, yeah, I think the Pac-12 South is a a lot tougher road, especially – with the way UCLA was looking.
1: Mm-hmm. So, to bring us back to USC, we got to talk to Clay Helton tonight in his Sunday night presser. Uh, we got some injury updates. Nick Figueroa has an AC sprain. Drake Jackson has a thigh contusion. And Chris Steele has a shin laceration, although he did say he had a bit of a hamstring issue to us uh, post game. So, that's kind of interesting there. But all three are listed as day to day. And then Isaiah Polomao, who did not start yesterday uh, because of ha- health and safety protocols. Helton sounded like it was iffy. He said they're going to try and get him back in time for Stanford, but I think they have to see with that one. And then Gary Bryant Jr., we noted on Saturday, was at the Coliseum. He was not dressed out in pads, but he did return. He was cleared on Friday. Uh, and he also was dealing with a hamstring issue, so Helton said they hope to get him back uh, practicing in uh, this upcoming week and playing on Stanford in against Stanford, so we'll see on that. But as far as health-wise, USC came out pretty healthy. I know, Chris, you talked to Nick Figueroa. Is that something where it's one of those things where uh, the guy says he's fine and then it kind of lingers a little bit
2: yeah i mean if we had a dollar for every time uh we had a, we talked to a guy after a game and he said oh i'll be fine i'll be good to go for next week and then they're out a couple weeks you know yeah i could buy this place and burn to the ground so i never have to be here again <laughs> but that it, it, that's a little concerning just because nick fiero does play a, a huge part on this defense yeah. yeah he did have the shoulder surgery in the offseason with with the torn labrum um so that's one you're gonna have to monitor closely this week and you know usc does not have the greatest amount of depth on the defensive line they're, they've had they had some issues there especially interior uh but that's a guy you're crossing your fingers is oh is he, he means it when he says
3: he'll be good to go for stanford because that's a game they're going to need yeah for him. sure but i would say two things for usc fans one stanford's pretty terrible so you don't have to worry about that and two as good as this defense played, you have to say, like, their captain was out. Like, Isaiah Paul Mellon didn't play at all. You had a true freshman playing there at safety. You lost Nick Figueroa. You lost Drake Jackson with amazing interception, by the way. Yeah. Uh, You had Josh Jackson in there who hadn't been practicing the last couple of weeks. He had two near interceptions in that game. I think the defense overall played really well and if you know if a Chris Steele's banged up, they got plenty of depth in the in the secondary and stuff. So I, I don't think you have to worry too much. If if it was something that was good, you know, they'd be out for like Utah and Notre Dame is one thing. But between Stanford just not looking that good and the way the defense played with the number of guys they already had out, there wasn't any excuse on the defensive side. They just kept playing well. Like if a if a Drake London was out for the offense, like what the what would the offense have done? I don't yeah. know. Yeah. But you know the defense lost some key guys, and they still performed. At, you know very, very well. Mm-hmm. I think that's a
2: testament just to the defensive side coaching. You know they yeah. had all those guys prepped. You know you talk to a Chase Williams and Caleb Bullock. They all said you know Chase talking about Caleb, Kalen, that he was ready. We knew what we had to do. It was next man up. Everyone was prepared. All the older guys got me ready. Coach Nivar got me ready. So I and even on the defense, you know, you had guys come in. Uh, Stanley to to Afu, a Afu to Afu, <laughs> the Tronkin Terror, it always trips me up. But he looked ready too. He he played really, really well, especially, you know, considering that they had some injuries there. Yeah. So I think credit to the defensive coaches for getting these guys ready and even the backups too who came in and didn't really miss a beat.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think you could feel pretty confident. That's why when Chris said like We sort of nailed it as far as like, you know, there's been some issues on the defensive side We're like, I think the defense is going to be really good. Yeah. There's going to be some offensive inconsistencies. And they were. It just looked like it was going to be a well-coached unit. I mean, you look at that secondary. I think, Keely, we talked about this on Thursday. It looks like veteran starters, forward star, like backups at three levels. It's like, this is exactly the way you want your roster. That's like an Alabama type of a roster. It was like, okay, then when those guys move on, there's going to be studs to move in. They haven't. The whole roster isn't like that, but the coaching staff I think is set up to create that. It just looks like they're much more competent on that side of ball on the recruiting side, and just scheme wise.
1: Yeah, and you saw the product of that on Sunday or Saturday because it didn't go as planned when you have Isaiah Pulham out, but you throw in a guy who you recruited, Kalen Bullock, and he doesn't miss a beat necessarily, mm-hmm. you know. And so uh, it's it works when the staff is gelling and whatnot. But you mentioned Drake London and how uh, he was kind of the offense. What's interesting is Chris and I talked about this on instant analysis. Everything we kind of scouted in fall camp, we kind of saw in the game. You know, we were wondering who's going to be the second, third receiving option uh, for Keenan Slovis in the game. And we didn't really get an answer to that. We saw Drake London do Drake London things, but Chris made a smart point on Instant. He said, you know, you can't ha- put that many miles on Drake London because you have to have him have go for a full season. And he was taking some hard shots oh, yeah. on Saturday. How do you think they will evolve that wide receiver uh, rotation?
2: you want to go with it? You can go. It's, it's, I mean, it's just going to be interesting. I, I felt like we weren't going to get a solid answer in week one. It's going to be something that evolves over time. I mean... Joseph Manjack got a lot of praise in fall camp. wasn't really a factor. We kind know. of
3: got Ben Griffith with him a little bit, you know. Like. It, it's a little early, but, but we'll <laughs> see. You know, it was
2: true freshman making his first start. It, 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 it'll come. It'll come. You know, he, Katie he's Nixon in
3: practice for real,
2: for real. He's one hand. That's all he needs sometimes to make these catches. But Katie Nixon, you know, he has a lot of experience at Colorado. Wasn't really a factor. You know, I'm still on the JJ three train. Uh, uh, John, Jackson. John Jackson the third didn't play snap didn't play a snap you know i i'm i'm a guy who's like put him out there he's not going to hurt you yeah he's going to get open he's going to run good routes he's going to be consistent him Taj washington drake london go with that filter in the the young guys man jack uh michael jackson and uh and kyle ford i see kyle ford too yeah he's
3: yeah so
2: presence that's what i think should happen but Obviously, I'm not a coach. That that's just my two cents. It's
3: mm-hmm. unfortunate. I mean, you can't put that kind of mileage on him. He's going to be he's going to just be wore out by the end of the year, especially I mean, against San Jose State. Yeah, like he had, and they were really physical with him, and you know he wasn't a all the time. I think there he got some
1: cheap shots. I'll say from my angle on the field, there were some. Yeah. yeah, I
3: mean, they're like they're basically like, hey, you know, it's like that center, like a dominant center. You're going to like let him get his points, but you're going to foul him a bunch of times so he doesn't want to like post you up anymore. Like I think that's what San Jose State was doing, but you can't put him in that sort of situation. I think he had. 14 targets, I believe, and then 16 targets. And that was as many as everyone else on the team. Like, that's not good. Shotgun tweeted out earlier that, there, you know, only four wide receivers played in the game uh, and four tight ends played. And um, I was going to ask Clay Hilton about it, but Adam Grossbard from the OC Register ended up asking him right before I was able to. And he kind of made a joke about, well, now you were talking about not playing enough tight ends. And it wasn't about, like, how many targets. It was more about, like, you only played four guys. Like, last year you had three NFL dudes uh, at wide receiver, and you played a whole bunch. You know, at least the other guys would get in. Now you have like one bonafide fide like you know NFL star, and you only put four guys out there. Before it was more like you had these established brands. You didn't have established brands. Like I don't know why you didn't see Michael Jackson, who had some great practices, or Kyle Ford, or or John Jackson, who was the only other receiver from USC that had a catch for the Trojans. So that was a little kind of concerning. But it's just sort of like there's always something that's just not quite right with this offense. There's like this. Boomer bust situation, and if you want to score fifty five points, like they talked about stuff before, you got to just be more efficient on offense. And it can't just be third down and eight. Oh, big play! Someone made a a great catch and it's a touchdown, or a punt. You know, it just seems like that's the way this offense is right now.
2: Mm -hmm. I'm interested to see just how much Gary Bryant's return kind of maybe not fixes it, but alleviates that. I don't think I hit it hard enough in instant. I don't. I forgot to bring it up, but you know. Gary obviously has experience. He, he was on the team last year. He, he's familiar with the offense, just hasn't been healthy. Um, that's something I'm interested. I, I think it would be huge to get him back and get him worked in there. Cause I think he could be uh, a pretty good number two wide receiver in this, in this offense. You know, he's got that game breaking speed, put him up the middle, uh, you know, force the defense to move back a little bit. So he's going to be interesting to see what he can do uh, once he gets back on the field. So I, that's that's a big storyline. I don't think we've been hitting on enough that, uh, you know, he's been out. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens when he gets fully back, which should be this week.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. We're talking about the wide receivers, but coming into the season, we were talking about the run game and USC's offensive line. How was that going to play out? Uh, it seems like Mike Jing stuck to his word. We saw a 1A, 1B running back situation with Ima and Keontae Ingram. What did you guys think of the, that duo?
3: Yeah, I talked to Vi afterwards and he seemed pretty happy with things. It just, again, there was a lot of like north-south running. There were a bunch of runs that just didn't go anywhere or, you know, uh, go for a loss, but they had some really effective runs too. Third down runs, uh, it was the third and 11, I think uh, Vi picked up. Um, I mean, they, you know, they, they had a couple third and decent size that, that, you know, they just ran the football and actually, uh, it actually worked there. So I think, you know, talking with, some of the players it seemed like the offensive line communication was better so there was a fewer like just complete bus some guys sometimes guys got pushed around a little bit but i think they pushed around some of the santa state guys as well they definitely had a couple of a great defensive ends that would give usc some problems sometime but overall i mean both guys averaged i think over five yards a carry um so there was there was definitely some effectiveness to the run game maybe not you know this you know huge plays that you would want but they had some good plays and uh at the end of the day, you kind of look up and you're like, I thought they might have more yards than uh, than what they did. But overall, I think it was pretty good. Just, you know, there were some spots where it just, you know, it wasn't working. Guys were running north-south and it just kind of got shut down. And the problem is when that was happening, it seemed like then the drive would kind of stall. Like if it's like third and nine or second and nine, it just seemed like, I don't know. I'm not sure there's a lot of confidence that they're going to be able to get this back and pick up the first down.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, Keontae averaged 5.7 yards a carry, and the Vivai averaged 4.6 yards a oh, carry. Okay. So there you go. Um, let's talk about special teams. And then we have a full caller queue, so I'll get to that afterwards. Ryan, I know you are the special teams guy. That is your area. What did you take away from Saturday's performance?
3: So Clay Hilton was asked about it, too. Um, and, you know, he had some good things to say. There were – it wasn't as clean as I'd, I'd love to get your thoughts too, Chris. But there was uh, – I mean, Ben Griffiths had a really good punt that was uh, a lot of hang time, downed at the ten. Um, I think it was over 50 yards and, you know, but there was one time he was backed up and, you know, being like a 36 yard punt, Clay Helton said that they were really trying to go for uh hang time and not get any kind of returns, which, you know, I think that's understandable. But like when I talked to Sean Snyder during fall camp, I asked about out kicking the coverage and he didn't see like, that was like a foreign concept. He's like, I just want him to boom those things. And he was, you know, he, he wasn't really booming them again. So it's one of those things like you could talk about, oh, he's doing a great practice uh, and we didn't see that as much. Um, Parker Lewis, I thought did well. I mean he had some uh, some kicking you know, accuracy issues in camp, but he you know was perfect on all of his kicks and they needed it because three times in the red zone uh, they end up kicking field goals. He did have one kickoff out of bounds. He was the rest he did have gets touchbacks, but the out of bounds one. But I think the couple of bigger mistakes was on the punt you know not only did you not get any big returns, but a couple of the punts you know one was fielded inside the 10. Uh, and one, uh, was you failed to catch it, and it rolled, like, 30 yards all the way down inside the, the two so or whatever it was. So, yeah, I, I don't think it was a great – And there wasn't, like, complete gaffes on special teams, but you wanted to see a couple, like, really good plays, and then most everything being pretty average. I would say it was probably a below-average effort.
1: Chris, your thoughts?
3: Yeah, nothing that was like, oh, that's terrible. Nothing, yeah. nothing like that.
2: I also think we need a boom jar. Anytime <laughs> anyone refers to, like, a booming pun or anything – Put
3: a put a dollar in there, like a sweat yeah. jar.
1: I will not be donating any money. I'm not legally, she's legally
3: binding. Yeah, she cannot. Talk she about cannot do it. I think anyone. when I talked to Snyder, he had said that or something. So I tweeted that out, and everyone's like booming. But I think you even got. Away. I I got a booming off uh, on <laughs> on Saturday. So,
2: but the big thing I was looking for is Parker Lewis, just because he did yeah. have some issues in fall camp with consistency. We saw him missing some kicks. We saw Alex Stathouse get some of those first kicks out the gate in practice sometimes, maybe as a motivation tactic. I would not have been surprised if Stathouse house that actually gotten the start. That's how sort of iffy Parker Lewis had looked, but Parker Lewis came out, hit all three of his attempts. One was very close. We were standing right under it and we were yeah. like, whoa, that one's snuck in. So it's going to be interesting to see if he can keep that going. Um, after a pretty good start, that was a, I just wanted to see how he got off on the right foot after, you know, a, a back and forth camp. So it's going to be interesting, you know, how it looks like on the road in a yeah. night game, stuff like that. You know, this one was a little more easier environment, uh, a similar but, environment. Yeah. Too. A similar environment. So, you know, yeah, I am I'm interested to see how that moves forward, the kicking game. So, yeah, we'll see.
1: We shall see. Already, as promised, let's go into some callers. I believe the first caller on the line is Jimmy from Santa Monica. Hello, you're live on television.
0: Hey, guys. Can you guys hear me okay? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I was at the game uh, yesterday. One big observation for me was uh, the use of. Two tight ends. Now, I liked how that benefited the run game. I think that's a big reason why we ran for 160 yards or something like that. But in regards to the passing game, there were multiple passing downs where Harrell would line up Malcolm X and Chroman Hoke in the slot against San Jose State's Nichols and Safeties, who are obviously more athletic, faster, and better pass defenders. Um, I'm having a hard time understanding how that benefits the passing game um could you guys enlighten me on why Harold was doing that, putting two tight ends in the slots instead of people like Katie nixon uh John Jackson,
3: Katie, and yeah thanks Jimmy hey Jimmy Jimmy from San mo, thank you for that one <laughs> no, I think and I think shotgun was tweeting about some of the stuff too, some of the formation and he'll have his uh breakdown of all the formations, everything. It was kind of interesting where they ran some, it just didn't seem like. It was the optimal personnel at all the times. Like you'd love to see like a Michael Trigg out there instead of Crominholk or whatever in a in a passing situation when it's probably not going to be a run. Now to be fair, like when they popped that uh that the, the third and eleven run, maybe it helped to have a you know one of those tight ends out there. I don't remember the formation exactly, but I think you're right. There were some curious ones where you don't want to be too predictable, but and you if you have like. Passing situations and you have like passing tight ends and like blocking tight ends. I'd rather see the passing tight ends out there right. on third and long.
1: Yeah, I wonder how and much the so, if- uh, playbook comes into to play with uh, Michael Trigg. I've heard that sometimes with the freshman coming in, it's a little trickier. So I'm not sure, but if that's the case. Maybe just have him memorize a couple red zone plays. Not the sure. Playbooks like this big. I, I'm just saying.
2: Uh, what do you think, Chris? Well, for me, I just thought y- y- there were some curious matchup dis- decisions, but I felt like more they were just trying to get. A nice big man on a on a smaller nickel guy, yeah. stuff like that. You know, because they have some big tight ends. You know, Jude Wolf, he's six foot five. Malcolm Epps is like seven foot nine. I don't know something <laughs> something like that. So that those don't are the him. those are the matchups you want in that slot. You know, they're not the quickest guys, but they can go up and make those catches. I just think Keaton needs more trust with some of those guys. Like a Malcolm yeah. Epps, he missed. Hall of fall camp, you know, Michael yep. Trigg still building that chemistry. Obviously, like you said, still needs to learn the playbook. And they and they got Trigg there, in there a little bit later, mm-hmm. looking like they were trying to get him for a spark. There was one play where he looked open in the end zone, and I, I could hear the fans yelling, throw it to Trigg, throw it to Trigg. I think that was an incompletion. But they're they're trying to get that involved because Trigg could absolutely be a different difference maker in this offense. Yep. He has that kind of ability from the stuff we've seen him from those catches he makes in fall camp. All he needs is one down the field, and three guys, and offense is rolling. <laughs> Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jimmy, for the call. We have another caller on the line, and I believe it is Andrew from San Diego. Hello, you're live on television. What's your question for the team?
0: Thank you guys so much for uh, participating during the games with us blowing up your Twitter feeds. I'm sure it gets <laughs> arduous, but you guys show much a lot of tolerance, so it's much appreciated. <laughs> and I was just curious, uh, Ryan, what if it's an Asian fusion
3: offense this year? What do you think the dish will be for week two? Thank you. Oh, it's set me up for a, a, a food, a food analogy. analogy, yeah. So if it's an Asian fusion, um, hmm, I, you know, this, I don't know. I thought coming up with something, can you do food analogies on the spot, Right. I mean, well, like, I don't, I'm not too familiar with the Asian fusion restaurant. I thought Asia to Cuba was that old that that was like the one on Sunset Boulevard, uh, way back in the day, yeah. I mean, I don't I know. I don't know if it's uh, – do you remember that one? Yeah. It's been a while. You weren't here. Um, yeah, I I don't know if it's that. I mean, I think if you were going to play like 12 wide receivers and have like a zillion different formations and stuff like that, then maybe it's a little more like like the gumbo, you know, the old gumbo where you just weren't really sure what's going on. I still think they're trying to do what they do. Um, they just might be running the football a little bit more. We saw some more two tight end sets. We saw some – when they got in the red zone, they ran a couple of plays with two running back sets where you had Keontae Ingram blocking for Vavai, but I don't know if it's an Asian fusion offense, but it it's something that's not quite, it's it's more like a chopped offense where it's uh, instead of having this like fully thought out menu, it's, it's really like you have to piece it together from whatever is in that basket they put in front of you. And you're just sort of like this this should be a little smoother. What's going on? Like they they have more ingredients than what's in the basket. You feel like they've just used like limited ingredients, and that's sort of what they've got. They got a, a kind of a quirky dish that the judges are going to be like, eh, that just didn't work for me. Why is there peanut butter and scallops? <laughs> peanut butter and scallops. In my salad. Gummy we- Gummy worms and uh,
1: <laughs> now-
2: a
3: pickle.
1: To be fair, I did ask Grim Harrell after the game how mu- how limited was the playbook for San Jose State. Of course, you don't want to give away everything in week one. And he said he admitted that it was uh, kind of limited. So we'll see. And we've seen more wrinkles in practice alone. And what I what I think is interesting, though, is can you be more vanilla but still use a guy like Keenan Kristen or get John Jackson involved? You know, I felt like there were still things that you could have done without exposing your full hand, you know?
2: Yeah. where at that, Chris. Yeah, I mean, I had someone text me, like, do they know Keenan can run a 10 <laughs> And we saw, him. I tweeted it out, he was warming up with the wide receivers, so I yes. thought maybe, you know, we, we'd see something like that. Um, they didn't but play the wide receivers they have, let alone the new wide receiver, you know. <laughs> the running back convert. So I thought Keenan would get a little bit more involved, because he seems, it seems like they've been pushing, and he talked about how they want him to play more wide receiver. He's been working on his route running, working with the wide receivers, as we saw, so... I thought we would see a little
3: bit more number 23 out there and some some special usage and packages. Yeah, I mean, I didn't mind that as much. If you're going to decide that we're going to go 1A, 1B, that was your plan, you did it. It was pretty effective. Like, okay, I mean, I'll I'll give you the benefit of the doubt on on the run game stuff. I, but I just thought with the number of new wide receivers you had out there, give some guys opportunities. And I, I think, you know, you needed to score some more points. so You could feel more comfortable, but it just felt like it was close enough that Slovis was still going to go back to, you know, the well and go back to where he, you know, he knew he could have success. I think they really missed an opportunity to get more guys involved, play more dudes, and get them the ball. That first catch, I think it was. Remember Devin Williams, like shotgun, just wanted Devin Williams to get like a little dump off over the middle and let him run. You know, and like sort of like you know, getting a free uh, a layup or something or hit your first free throw and then the baskets start coming. They kept trying to get him like these really difficult passes downfield and he just never was getting his first catch. I feel like he just needed to work it in. Like, I don't want to see Katie Nixon run a fade route with like two defenders that are bigger than him for his first catch as a Trojan. Like, have him square over the middle, find grass and just sit down, dump him the ball and see if he can make a move and make somebody miss. And they just never got those dudes involved. I, so I was okay with the run game and I, I love Kristen and you want to see him do stuff, but they had a plan for 1A, 1B. That's cool but I wanted to see more receivers get involved and not just be the Drake London show.
1: Mm -hmm. Makes sense. All right, let's move on to our next caller. It's Zach from LA. Hello. You're live on tunnel vision. What's your question for the team?
0: Hey everyone. Um, I'm disappointed, but not surprised by the offensive performance. And I've heard a lot of talk, um, about personnel and the lack of a second receiver, but even going back last year when we had Amon Ra and Drake London, um, The rhythm was just off. And I feel like the rhythm and creativity of the offense is just off. No one gets wide open. I'm watching Notre Dame and Florida State people get wide open. So, my question is what do you guys think the problem is, personnel or scheme? And um, what is the air raid supposed to accomplish? Because I just don't know anymore. I can't tell what they're trying to do. So, thanks, guys.
1: Thank you, Zach.
3: Zach, yeah. I mean, it's a legitimate question. Um, You want to see – that was part of the gumbo offense where they're just – no one was really getting open. You're just sort of having your stars make plays. And it started getting back to that a little bit. You know, it's like, yeah, I thought with the air raid it would be more that way. And the problem is, Chris, like there are definitely going to be critics of running an air raid. It's finesse. It's blah, blah, blah. People that don't want it. Maybe they want to be student body left, student body right, or they still want a fullback. But I don't mind you're going to run some kind of more modern offense – but when it struggles like this with good athletes, it just opens up to more criticism. Like, not even just like the way you're running it's wrong. Like, you shouldn't be running this at all, is what they're saying.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's a personnel issue. I think they have some talented wide receivers, maybe not as highly recruited as the guys that were there the last couple of years, when Kiedis Loves was thrown the them. So, yeah, I think it just needs just an injection of something, something yeah. a little bit more,
3: because it's stale right now, to go back to your… Food stuff. Yeah. They needed a little, they needed to go back to the spice rack and, uh, you know, put a little paprika in there, a little something, like get things going.
1: This is an interesting topic brought up by Raina Troy in their car cast. They were talking about Drake London and how he's moved outside. Would you want to see USC move him more inside or at least go in and out or red zone, use him inside or mix it up or keep him where he is right now? Uh,
3: They did, I think it was that one, it was like a, a series. It might have been in the third quarter, like when USC just got started. I think it might have been the first series of the third quarter. I think they tried to run Vi. He got stopped for a yard. They threw one to London, and they got like five, and it was like third and six. And they lined him up in the slot, and he cut over the middle, and they threw and threw a pass complete, but he got tackled like just before the first down. So they they did try him in the slot. When I watched him, when you're watching in the red zone, I think he would be more effective in the slot because it just seemed like All you're going to do is like some kind of fade, and the one when uh, Keaton took a sack in the red zone, and Keely just showed me the clip before. Kianthi Ingram was on the side, like waving, like "Hey, throw it to me, throw it to me." He's like wide open, and he looked to London, and London was just kind of, and then he sort of was like not sure what to do. He started on the outside and just kind of stayed out there, and then he ran around, and I think it was the one he got sacked on. But I think it might be more effective to see him the pass he caught on third and six that it didn't go for first down. uh, You know that might be more effective in the red zone too, but. I don't know. I'll just see, but like it just seemed like he was looking for him, and San Jose State was doing whatever they can to you know put m- multiple guys out there, so he'd have to make a great play.
2: Yeah, move him around, whatever, just to get yeah. different looks for the defense. You know, obviously London is going to be priority number one for all defenses for the for the coming season. So <laughs> if moving around helps him, other guys get open or give them better one on one opportunities, do it. Yeah.
1: We have a couple more callers in the queue, so I'm, going to, I'm wow. going to get to them. But if you guys have questions, be sure to label them in the comments. Questions that that helps us out. Let's go to our regular OG caller. It's Dave from Iowa. Hello, you are live on Tunnel Vision.
0: Hey, hey guys, uh, Dave from Iowa here. Uh, Dave from Iowa here. First off, I just want to say, hey, I'm impressed by the game. You know, good defensive performance, and when people talk, you know, picking on the offense. Guys, it's week one. The only, you know, best offense is Alabama, which, you know, no surprise there. But what I want to get to is one, I don't know I don't know for the Family Few podcast people, uh, about late, late June, I believe, or, uh, late June, yes, uh, uh, I believe Chris Ravino asked, you know, in terms of the recruiting class, it would be, it would be a top 10 class before the season, right before the season. Unfortunately, it wasn't, it wasn't, so sorry, Keel, I had to call you out for, uh, getting that wrong. <laughs> I
1: but, uh, in wrong. terms
0: of the entire, but, 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 but in terms of the entire day of college football on Saturday, what I was really surprised by and quite honestly scared of was UCLA's upset against LSU. Now, I understand it's, the UCLA game is late in the season, but what do you guys think of the 2-4-5 that Chip Kelly's running? Do you think the air raid or the pro raid, so to speak, that we have can handle it? Love
3: to hear your thoughts. Hey, Dave, thanks for that one. Thanks, Dave. We had three California callers before Iowa, which is... Yeah. Nice. And uh Coley's probably not going to call because Notre Dame's playing right now, right? So <laughs> I don't even know if uh, he's
1: in the comments. <laughs> we
3: had the game on and Keely took it off because she knows I'd be distracted. Yes, so,
1: it's true. Um
3: Yeah, was really impressed. And I think I said this during the offseason, like it, it was a weird pandemic year. Chip Kelly's not been the most dynamic recruiter when he came back to college. I mean, he's got... I mean, he's, he's got two buyouts from NFL teams. Like he's probably got tens of millions of dollars in the bank, you know. So, is he really want to call a bunch of seventeen year old kids and beg them? But the transfer portal is a different story. He's hit that hard. Um, those are that's basically when they're coming to you, as opposed to you going to them. Um, he's done a really good job with that. Like guys like Zach Charbonnet, look, they, they look they look fantastic. really fantastic. They look yeah, they look fantastic out there. But we even talked about this last year. It looked like it took way too long. Like Chip Kelly should have had this team better two years ago. It shouldn't have taken till year four to win an out-of-conference game. But we saw the run game be really productive. We saw the defense um, just getting after it. I mean, even the blocking schemes with the offensive line, you watch some of the run plays. I mean, guys are pulling, like, everyone's doing their assignment and opening up holes for these guys. And LSU's got a lot of athletes. they got athletes all over the place. Um, now, they threw the ball pretty well. Uh, against UCLA. They weren't able to to run the football. So, I mean, USC's strength is a pass game. They should have some, uh, you know, that should be effective. But, I, yeah, I think I don't think UCLA is a joke. I mean, you, uh, Chip Kelly, it's taken them a while, but they look like they have at least an identity and stuff. Now, they're doing a little different. They're not doing it the way you would do in LA because you got five stars all over the place and just like recruit a bunch of high school talent. But he's finally turned that roster over where he's got his guys in there, and you're seeing some good results. That could be the one to decide the South yeah the end so i i
2: I would be a little bit worried i I don't if you don't find another sort of weapon for london i mean it's the end of the year so you should have multiple guys (laughs) that could play with london by the end of the year like that then i think you're in a better spot but
3: right now i'd be a little worried yeah is
1: the power in the visor that's my question because Chip Kelly switched to the visor.
3: He's 2-0 in the visor. And uh, they said he was – I forget what his record at Oregon was when he wore it. It was like 80-12 and 12 or something. So he's <laughs> like, you know, he's booming. It's, he's it's, channeling. Yeah, it's funny. Even like my partner on the podcast of champions, David Woods, who can be like a pretty homer on with the UCLA stuff. It's fun. He's he's really down on the Bruins, and he, he doesn't like Chip Kelly. He's terrible. He's terrible. And now he's like, they're going to win the National <laughs> Championship. So it's funny. So it took him a while, but he's uh, he's on board with Chip Kelly now. I, I mean, I like the Chip Kelly hire, but it was – it wasn't good for the first couple of years. And he, bid, he did beat USC that first year, but, uh, you know, they've just they've just struggled. And But we saw some signs of them being in, going in the right direction last year. Pandemic year, it's hard to put a lot of stock into it. But now you're seeing that. Like, what I thought I saw last year, I think you're seeing now. And they're going to be legit. I think they'll probably lose some stupid games, but they're going to be capable of beating just about anybody.
1: All righty. We have one more caller in the queue, so let's get to that. And then questions afterward. It's John from Glendora. Hello, you're live on television.
0: Hey guys, what's up? Haven't called in a while. I know Ryan's ready to roast me again, so <laughs> it feels good. Uh, but uh, real quick, I, Dave from Iowa actually took my thing. I was on Tarbury to relax. I was there. It's the first game. Guys are going to get in the game. I liked what they did, but I feel like we do need another weapon. I think Kyle Ford's going to be that guy. Just let him be healthy, and I think we'll be just okay. And next week is going to be a lot of sluggo because we're going to run that ball down Samson's throat. See you, guys.
3: Hey, John. Not the roast you there, man. You're, Cal4's my guy. It was really, it really bummed true. me out he didn't get it in at all. Like... I want to see him somewhere. Uh-huh. Just, the him. interesting
1: thing is that he kind of had the body language. Like he knew he wasn't going to play. Like he was dressed out and everything, but he kind of had his helmet near him. It was kind of near the bench at times. And so kind of that's when guys know that they're not 100% healthy. This is pure uh, speculation here, but it seemed like he knew he maybe wouldn't get in. And it was interesting.
3: Yeah. Cause we've talked to him and he said he's, but it, like you said, it doesn't always mean if a player says they're good to go, they're good to go. But it seemed like, you know, he had some huge practice days, full contact stuff, we just felt like he was going to be ready, so maybe he's not quite cleared yet. I don't know, right? And we've talked about it when we watch practice.
2: Sometimes that he's had he has weird like practice stretches where he'll be a full participant, but then some days he doesn't like do one on ones or he's like kind of held back a little bit. So yeah. not really sure what what that's about. It's probably something we need to. Get to the bottom of this week. This this week of practice. Yeah,
1: yeah. but Ryan, when you asked about the wide receivers, you specifically uh, excuse me. You asked Clay Helton about them. You specifically asked about Kyle Ford, and he said he he expected to use him on Saturday, but that just didn't happen.
3: Yeah, I think uh, maybe I worded it weird, but I was like, was the plan to only play four guys? You know, because it's just it's sort of like that's what happened. I I think remember if you remember just two years ago or whatever the plan was to play like twelve dudes or something like twelve. He wanted all the wide receivers playing. And they really didn't. They kept a really short rotation. So I just wanted to know if that was the plan. Um, I think just because things weren't quite clicking, they just stuck with the guys that they knew. They did use more, you know, two tight end sets. They used more tight ends and everything. So uh, there wasn't as many opportunities to put like four wideouts. And when they did, it seemed like they just went with those four guys that they, the guys that they had started. So I mean, Jack was great. Got the he got the we got to see him out there a lot. I don't know if he. Got, I think there was one target, but I think it was a tipped pass at the line of scrimmage. I don't know if that counts as a. As a target, but uh, you know we didn't see Kenny Nixon targeted much. I think there's that one fade that was incomplete. Um, just wanted to see more of those guys ro- rotate through.
1: Mm-hmm. Thank you, John, for the call. We appreciate it. Last call was from him was in March, March seventh. So glad to see you back. All righty, let's jump into some questions. First one is from John, who says, "I like the way that Todd Orlando is developing the young talent on the defensive side of the ball. When is the offense going to follow suit with Trigg and Manjack?"
3: I like the way the defense is. Playing, I mean, not hesitant to play guys at all. And, you know, you play like a man jacket, but they, he wasn't really involved. And I think it's harder maybe to get a receiver involved than a safety who's going to be out there uh, all the time. But, yeah, I don't know. Do you think it's like a trust issue? Or what do you think? Like just Yeah, I think you... I was just actually just
2: going to bring that up on the last point that we were talking oh, about. I, I just think it, it has to do with trust. You know, Keaton needs to find trust in these guys. I mean, you can make all those throws in practice, which helps, but until you actually do it in a game you know we have fans screaming opposing fans screaming you know everything's going chaotic on the field you have a, an actual opposing defense that wants to rip your head off and you have to trust these guys to make the catch over the middle or down the sideline or on third down you need to build that in a game so that's why I think it's important to filter these guys in yeah. you know see who's going to be the guy to step up you know maybe if John Jackson had played that game maybe he had he has 5 catches that game yeah. I don't know so i think it i think it does come down to trust obviously he favors london because that's the guy he trusts right now he, yeah. he's looking number 15's way and everyone knows that so someone needs to step up and in ha- be like keaton i got you trust me yeah we yeah, saw yeah. that last year with Bru mccoy it started coming down late in the season which is why he was going to be a big important piece for 2021 but so no one else has that that role of like he he, he's relying on him they built chemistry last year so he has to start all over with someone new if there
1: was like a pie chart how much is chemistry dependent on the quarterback himself or the wide receiver or both
3: i think sometimes wide receivers feel uh i mean they feel a little helpless sometimes like if you're running free a whole bunch of times and you're like hey qb i'm i'm open i'm open you know i mean there's there's stuff you can't do where if you're the quarterback and you want to go a certain direction, you can throw it there even if the guy's covered. So I, I feel like sometimes receivers feel like they're you know, but part of that's the communication too and and the trust. Where if if Katie Nixon comes back and goes, hey man, they're, they're like playing ten yards off me, just don't you know, dump me the ball and I'll make a play. Does Keaton trust him enough? Like if Drake London says that, obviously you're going to do it. But right now, like you said, if if there was a Brew McCoy out there, who's going to say that? Uh, you know, he has two guys he trusts, and then it's easier to trust everybody else. Where you only trust the one guy, it's hard to like kind of spread that trust out among everyone else. Because I think you're just instantly, you get the snap. London. Yeah. He's, looking like, He's yeah. like, where's London? He's so right here, I, th- yeah. I
2: think it's sort of a little bit like that. So someone just needs to step up. And, you know, it, we saw a little bit with Taj, you know, coming up with that huge touchdown. That that's, can only do wonders for, the, for the, uh, the chemistry between them, you know, coming up with that big touchdown. So you want to see that foster a little bit more because it kind of died off a little bit. He did have that one over the middle. Looked like I hit him right in the hands. Yep. Didn't come down with it. So, you know, you want to see more consistency there.
1: We have a question about the middle linebackers or, excuse me, inside linebackers. The Wheel of Dealer said, uh, did they make any plays? And shouts to Shotgun Spratling, who is watching and also putting um, some stats in our notes here. He said Raymond Scott was third on the team with five tackles. Kanae Malga had three tackles and a forced fumble. And Goforth had, uh, Rayling Goforth had one tackle. So the question is, uh, what do you take away from the inside linebacker play? I know that's something that we saw progress over the 2020 season. What did you take away from game one?
3: Yeah, I mean, I didn't notice a lot. I guess that's part of the problem. And you don't know if that's I just felt or... like
2: they were a position on the field yeah. and they played, but <laughs> nothing really like like Canai didn't have like 13 tackles and yeah. like a pick or anything. They were just there, and I don't think they they did poorly, and I don't think they did amazing. They were just there and they were they were just there. They were just yeah. part of the field. They were part of the team, and you know, I noticed them sometimes, but no- nothing that stood out like, "Oh, Ramos Scott did this," or "Canai Mauga did this." Outside of like that one fumble that was a late or early fumble and everyone kind of scrambled. Yeah. But nothing that, you know, that stood out.
3: Yeah. I mean, you got it was like homeroom and they took attendance and they were there. Okay. But they didn't get detention. They didn't like cause problems and get kicked out of class and they didn't answer every question. They didn't get a gold star. Of, they were there like they were yeah. the kind of the wallflower in the back of the room that's not going to talk very much and uh that's sort of what I felt like with the the you know, you want to count Drake Jackson's play, which was a great play by the way, where he was rushing the passer and he's more of a Rush in or whatever, but he was rushing the passer, noticed that it was a screen and Dropped backed back. off. Yeah, I mean, that was a was really beautiful, good, beautiful yeah. to watch. We didn't see anything really like that from the linebackers. Like, oh my god, that was a great play! You know, like, I think we will, though. I think we yeah. will eventually.
1: Oh, we got a question from Mark Watkins who says, Chase Williams had some struggles while Kalen Bullock looked great. Could we see Kalen win that starting spot next to Isaiah pull him out when he returns?
3: Uh, I think they like the veterans that they have back there. Um, I'd have to, I don't know, like if Chase like had a, a really bad game or anything, I, I mean, you'd have to go back and watch film, but I, I think they just feel confident. You know, he's just someone that could come in off the bench and they could spell either one of those guys if they, if they want to, but I, I don't think it's going to be a, like Caleb Book had a, g- a good game in his first, uh, game and now he's going to like win the starting spot. I, I think it's just more of a he just proved he can be, he can belong out there.
1: I mean, we knew the coaches were high on Kalen, and now it just proved it to USC fans why uh, they had scouted him early as what they did. So, yeah. interesting there. We had a question from Scott from Eastern Washington who said, best defensive po- performance in years. When was the last time USC held a team to less than 10 points? Well, I have the answer for you guys. Uh, they defeated Utah State in 2016 45 to 7, and also beat Oregon State 38 to 10 in 2017. So, there you go. So, He's right when he says best defensive performance in years.
3: I tweeted out, I think you got to give Todd Orlando the shutout. And the reason being is because, well, first of all, the offense wasn't really helping them out at all. And they kept, you know, special teams didn't really help them out. Um, Yeah. They gave up one touchdown. Fine. But they also scored a touchdown. So I think it's going to, it's going to even out. It was a a net zero for the defense. So I I think it's, I think it was a really good performance. One of the better ones we've seen. one would say neutral. Stock neutral. Stock neutral? I, I'm not. Shotgun you're supposed to be, stock be anti-stock us. neutral because you're
2: shotgun right now. You're right. You're right. So <laughs> to hell with that. Can I say that on this show? Sure. Okay. You can say whatever you want. Wow. I I just want to point out this is the hot take as a media person, but I thought it was uh interesting. No, I'm gonna say it. I'm a great move. Todd Orlando declining to speak to the media after his. <laughs> what? Was kind one, of one of the move. best. One of the best performances. Hey Todd, can we talk? No, it's all right. Just I just walked I on he, by. Like, we yeah. I saw that because I wanted to talk to him. Well, and, obviously you wanted to talk. To yeah. And then he uh, he was like no.
1: It was a whole game plan from the reporters. We were like all in the same location, so he could just walk up to us. It was a whole thing. We were ready for his his day, and then he was like, "Thanks, guys. It's okay." And we were like, "Okay." Maybe, to be
3: fair, I feel he would rather talk if they stunk. Like,
1: what? <laughs> I no, don't I mean, know. Like, I
3: don't think he shies away if they're not playing well.
1: Here's the thing, though. He came to USC in 2020. 2020, we weren't in the tunnel. To do post-game interviews. He's not used to it. I, he's, I don't think he knew that was kind of what happens after games. So I think it was uh, one of those, like, not sure moments. So Interesting. I
2: love this cat and mouse game continuing. I also feel, I also kind of felt like he didn't really want to talk about it until he seen film. He seems yeah, he, like
1: a guy yeah, like, gotta watch
3: the film. Yeah. I gotta watch the film. But. Like I saw what you guys saw. They scored seven points. You know. <laughs> like,
1: but uh, Richard had a question. He said, to play devil's advocate, what's the likelihood that this was a vanilla version of USC's offense? It seemed bland and inefficient.
3: Well, like I said before, like the playbook's already like this big. So maybe they made it this big. It was a little small, but I um, I, if it's a vanilla version of the offense, I don't want to expose Drake London like that uh, put, for potential injury or just leave him out there that long. Um, I'd rather play some younger guys and give them opportunities. So I don't know if it was like vanilla, so to speak. But I mean, if it, it just seemed like you were trying to win the game by going to your best player, which seems a little different than we're not going to show anything. Uh, I think just think that's a little bit different.
1: Corey had a question on Facebook that said, I feel like the offensive line held their own against a very experienced defensive line. Is Keaton Slovis under specific instructions not to take off running? It looked like there were opportunities to pick up first downs by running that Slovis didn't take advantage, advantage of.
2: I don't know if he's like under explicit instructions not to run the ball. I think he's, he's a pass first quarterback. He's looking to make the play down the field with his arm. But there were times that you saw where he, you know, he he can make a move with his play, put one defender in a spin cycle, and pick up some yards with his his legs. So I wouldn't say it's an explicit instruction not to run, but I just think he's he's focused on looking down the field. He may not see that it's a little bit open more open as he's, you know, looking downfield trying to fi- trying to find the receiver. Yeah. He
3: picked up I think one first down with those legs and then there was another like third and long then he, he had a ten yard run. He ran but he sixteen yeah. Yeah, but he didn't quite uh pick it up there. But
1: Mike on Facebook wanted to know was Drake Jackson hurt? It seemed like he missed a lot of time in the second half.
3: Yep. Contusion.
1: <laughs> was that coming into the game though? I know he was limited in practice a couple weeks prior. Is that something he re-aggravated?
3: You know, I don't know. It might have been on the interception, but I'm not. I'm not sure. I watched, rewatched the broadcast, and I didn't see anything. I don't remember anything of where he would have got banged up. But it definitely seemed to be in the beginning. He was. It seemed like he was fine, and then later on was when. Uh, and we weren't, weren't sure. We saw him over on the bike. He went into the medical tent. So the fact that he went to the tent for a while, I think you tweeted that out. It probably was something during the game, but.
2: Yeah, my sure. my guess is when he got tackled on the return. If my memory serves right. Someone came in and hit him right on the, the thigh and he went down Yeah, like a running back. You know, he's not used to – he's not used to being the one tackled. So. Right. Sure. And maybe he wasn't, <laughs>
3: excuse me, ready for that. So that – in my mind, I think that's where he got kind of hurt. It's funny. In the fall, they do some drills where like offensive players would do like tackling drills do, and defensive players would do like blocking drills. Like if you get an interception or whatever, someone's returning, then you would be able to like – Block a, a, an opponent, but I don't think they had ones where. Oh no, they had some ball security ones too. I think so. Right. like, you were more like carrying the ball, and then well, they would switch. switch. Offense would do defensive drills. Yeah,
2: defenders would play running back
3: or catch passes. Yeah, like why was, it was doing Kind it was, of original, so. but I don't know if they did ones where you would get tackled. So like, right? You know, see so you got to get tackled properly.
1: We got a question from John who said, "How did the interior offensive line look to you? I saw one play where Voorhees was pushed in the backfield and tackled his own man for a loss." Question mark.
3: Uh, I'd have to go back and watch the line specifically. Um, I talked to you know, a, a former, a, a, a current analyst that was doing a little bit of that today, and he'd said that he thought that Voorhees actually played pretty well. He liked Monheim, and he liked Voorhees probably the best on the offensive line. Uh, there's going to be some spots, and you know he had two freshman tackles starting, but I think I mean there was like. Maybe a buster. Track. I didn't notice anything just for, but I'll have to go back and watch a little more clearly. But at least one of the guys I talked to that was watching it said uh, he thought Voorhees played pretty well. But I don't know. I think Dietrich played
2: well. I mean, he came in at that guard spot. I think he believed he was filling in for Voorhees for a stretch there. And I think based off the pro football focus grades, Voorhees and Dietrich were the two highest rated offensive linemen uh, from Saturday and in the top five overall for the offense. Oh, okay. Uh Shacken will probably have a story up about that. Uh, later this week with all the grades and stuff, but and he might even drop it in the comments there. But I believe they were the top two offensive linemen, so that's a good sign for the interior. And I believe they only had one penalty inside, and that was a holding call on Brett Neilan. Brett Neilan. So oh, yeah. Yeah. overall, I think they were they they were fine. I mean, I have to go back and watch a little bit more closely, uh, but nothing that said oh this is going to be an issue.
1: Uh, we talked about Coley White. He's actually, he dropped a comment in, so he's he's double-tasking tonight. He said, is Utah currently the second-best team in the Pac-12?
3: I mean, I think it's too early to tell, Coley, about who's going to be the best. I mean, UCLA looks the best. Uh, when we do our power rankings, like, I mean, we had, like, Washington up there. They're going to drop. I would drop Washington to 12. They just lost to uh, Montana, just from what we've seen, like, Oregon, we probably had number one. I think, I, you know, UCLA's won two games. I'll probably put UCLA one and maybe like USC. It might be like USC two and like Utah three at this so point. So the answer is USC. Probably USC, I would think, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but I think USC, UCLA would probably be, if you did like a power rankings right now, just from what we've seen. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it, you know, Utah's up there, but it's just, there's a too small of a sample size right now.
1: Tess said, did this game seriously gauge anything for USC? Which team is the real test? Right now I'd say Notre Dame, even though I don't know what's currently happening in the game right now. Um, but usually going to South Bend is is the real test for USC. I mean,
3: the fact that we saw so many teams lose to like middle of the road teams or lower teams like yeah, I, I think they're all going to be tests. Like this is sort of like you needed to come out of, you know, you, you pull the car out of the garage, you take the the the, uh, the cover off it. You started up, hope the battery hasn't dead yet, and uh, that the gas isn't too stale, and just like, and you know, running around the track a few times. And I feel like it was a successful run, you know? I mean, um, you don't need to take too much away from it, but there were some issues to work on, and then you sort of like take the coaches at their word that they will, and you're going to get into conference play. I mean, like I said at the beginning of the show, San Jose State might be better than Stanford the way I saw them, and who knows? I mean, they might be better than Oregon State and Washington State, like USC's next uh, three games. So I don't know. Like this, this might be a better test than what you see in the next few weeks. We'll have to see. Keeley, don't you say that Stanford is always the it's fake it's barometer? False, it's
2: the false,
1: false litmus test. Yeah. yeah. Usually, historically, how USC has played against Stanford is the opposite for the rest of the season.
2: So you could use that. You could, you just, could just think of the opposite. Sure. If they go out and crush them. Opposite.
1: We'll see. I mean, I mean, here's the thing. If you're USC and you need to gain more chemistry on your offense. They have a favorable schedule to do so coming up, right? You're right.
3: The whole point of the season is and when we talk about expectations, the schedule is favorable. Like, it just is. There's no more Alabama. There's no Oregon. There's no Washington. Well, maybe that's a, well, you would have replaced Washington with Oregon State or Washington State, and none of them look very good. Uh, the only team that looks decent in the North right now is Oregon, and USC doesn't have to play them. So the schedule set up. Well, you know, and it looks like from what we've seen, the teams, the early part of the schedule, I mean, it would be a huge disappointment if USC is not 4-0 going into that Utah game. So, you know, we'll see. It's it's week one. Some of these teams might bounce back and play better. Stanford's got a really tough schedule. They play all power five opponents, the only program in the country that has to do that. I mean, You know, going on the road, playing a Kansas State team. It wasn't the road, but it was Arlington. It was like a road game. They got to go to Vanderbilt after USC. Like, they're playing away from Palo Alto for the first three weeks of the season. You know, like maybe they get really up for the Stanford game. Just I mean, the USC game because they get to come back to California and the other two games aren't even in the state. But they don't look very good. And Oregon State, you know, you should win that game in the Coliseum. And Washington State just lost to Utah State at home. You can't lose that game. So it's just set up well that this is not a very hard schedule and maybe fans have to be a little more critical of how the team looks as opposed to, Hey, you got the dub. That's all that matters. Like you want to look better. At least you got to win and you won by 23 points. uh, Even though it maybe didn't look the way you want these next three games might be like fairly easy wins, but you want to at least look better and come out feeling better about yourself than like a, yeah, we left a whole bunch of points on the table. We were bad in the red zone. You don't want that kind of stuff coming out of these games if they're not if they're going to be overmatched teams sort of like San Jose State was.
1: Mm-hmm. We actually have a caller on the line, so I'm going to go to them. It's Avery from Georgia. Hello, you're live on Tunnel Vision.
0: Hey, what's up, team? How are you? Good, how are you? Hey, I'm fine, I'm fine. Hey, so my question is today, um, why has play Hilton and the staff and the roles before him kind of deviated from the, the, the run game and run blueprint that Pete Carroll put in put in to effect before them. I kind of feel like, and yeah, you kind of can't implement the air raid, but man, running the ball at USC shouldn't really be an issue. And I just, I'm trying to figure out what what's going on. That's all I want to know. I'm fight on all the way from Albany, Georgia.
1: Thank you.
3: Thank you. Yeah. I love
1: when we get accents.
3: <laughs> accents are great. Twang, yeah. yeah. It's great. We get, I mean, love that. I mean when we get like far faraway callers International International callers, is fun great, too. Great stuff. Yeah, I mean again it's like if you gonna if you're gonna pick the air raid, you gotta kinda run with the air raid concepts. Now we've seen air raid type offenses have a much more effective run game, and I think that's what people want. It's not like you got away from what Pete Carroll was doing, but you need to still be able to run a, an offense that's open and throws the ball over the field, like we saw LSU a couple of years ago. I mean, Oklahoma's really good at this. They can throw the ball and they run the ball effectively. You have to have an effective run game. You know, Alabama does it. And we just haven't seen that from this version of the air raid uh, from USC. Got a little better, I think, on Saturday. But I think that's where you want to see more. But you can't, like, pick an air raid. You know, it's like you go into a pizza joint and you're wondering why the sushi's not that great. Like, okay, it's just a different thing. Like, you want to have good food, but you go in there and you just want, like, the best kind of pizza you can get. And, you know, we haven't seen the best sort of, like, run pizza uh, from this era. Run pizza. Yeah, run pizza. <laughs> Good old run I Just make it up. I don't know. Crazy well, I don't, thoughts? Do that yeah. could be a play call. Yeah. Run pizza. <laughs> run pizza.
1: <laughs> thoughts, Christian?
2: You know, this <laughs> isn't a I don't want to say this is like an indictment on the current offensive line, but you know, USC hasn't been recruiting at a high level O-line wise the last mm-hmm. couple of years. So, if you have national O-line guys up front, you know, I think it makes it a little bit easier to open some holes in the run game, regardless of scheme.
3: Yeah. If you just have like mashers, guys that just like pancake people, then like, yeah, I mean, you and I could run through that hole a little bit more. So, yeah.
1: We got a question on YouTube from Daniel who said, is playing your backups mainly for one of two scrimmages and worried about hard contact and practices under Hilton F Factor why USC lacks that toughness level and sink offensively?
3: I mean, has it hasn't affected the defense, I don't think. Yeah, that's
1: what I was going to say. I don't I don't think we're having the same complaints we maybe did past seasons about USC's defense and their tackling ability. Yeah,
3: I think the biggest issue, and get your thoughts on this, Chris, too, is you want to have easy success. Like, in the NFL, like, you need the most accurate quarterback who's going to put the ball in a, you know, in a small window because no matter how good your receiver is, the DB's on his butt. You know, he's going to be right there. So you have to, like, put it in this. In college – you can scheme things up so there's easy plays. Like, do you watch the, the end of the Oregon State-Purdue game? Oregon State's trying to come back. They're trying to hold Purdue. And I think it was the tight end goes out. And he's – no one is within 50 yards of the guy. Like, he just threw it, but, like, you could have punted it to him, and he walks into the end zone. It was just, like, the end of Oregon State. We didn't see anything like that for USC for, – I mean, uh, for the state. San Jose State had a couple plays like that where they did, like, a little play action inside, and uh, they got Deese uh, you know, wide open, and he made a big play. I think you need to see more of those just easy plays. Like sometimes you just need some easy pickups where it just seems like they're struggling for every – like someone has to make a great play for this things to work. And that that's where I got the issue with it. Right, it seemed thought, like yeah. the only
2: time they're really moving the ball or getting a big play like that is because Drake London makes an incredible <laughs> one-handed – or snag over like two defenders to get down the field. They don't have that like, – like the cultural ball, like you just said, has that chaotic element yes to where you have these crazy plays we don't see a lot of that with usc and it would be nice to have that yeah like you said nice to have those those busts wide open or a big play down the field where everyone's blown coverage or stuff like that so yeah i think you definitely want a little see a little bit more of that chaotic element for this offense
3: yeah like when you're playing a sport like sometimes there's just like you know, we're playing like beach volleyball. Like, Keely knows you're out there playing volleyball, and it's like, sometimes you just want the other team to hit the ball out of bounds so you don't have to, like, dig it, get a good set, and, like, put the ball away. Sometimes it's just better, like, oh, they they just screwed up, and you're like, okay, that's good. Yeah, it's like, service, oh, they missed their serve. It's like, I would like the easy points sometimes. Like, I don't want to have to, like, grind and score every freaking point because it's, like, really hard to do. So, you want some easy ones for the USC offense, but it seems like everything is like pulling teeth. Like they've got the athletes to make some great plays, but every once in a while, you just want that like blown coverage, like, boop, that's an easy touchdown. And
1: Now, tell me if this is like in my head, but sometimes I feel like once USC crosses the 50, it almost feels like they get a little uptight. Like it feels like it gets the, you can feel the tension a little bit, like they're trying to, like, they know that they got to produce in the red zone once they get there. I, I don't know. It just feels like it's a little bit easier prior to to the 50-yard line.
3: We saw the David Shaw-Stanford thing. Like, they're good between the 30s and then, like, you know, and outside of that, they seem to kind of struggle. Get, and for me, it's more like when USC gets closer to the red zone. Like, they've they've moved the ball pretty good. Um, but I think twice they got into the red zone um, and they end up back getting, you know, they started in the red zone and then they end up being out of it. Now, one of them, they scored the touchdown to Croman Hoke from, like, the 20. But, you know, I think one was a holding call, one was a sack. Yeah, there's just something about it where they're just not, You need to be effective moving in where it's like execution, it's a smaller field, just everyone's got to do their job and and make a play. And it just seems like something happens and they're not able able to do that.
2: It's like a child who just learned to swim, very confident in the two foot, three foot, four foot, moving into the deeper end. And then you're like (laughs) trying to stand on your tippy toes. It gets a little bit bit shaky over there, not as confident.
3: It's like you're good at the Family Feud podcast and you do like (laughs) instant analysis, but then that sounds, that sounds very specific. That sounds very specific. You're doing great, by the way. So that's
1: fine. We had a question, and we've actually gotten this on multiple platforms about Keaton. Uh, it said, watching on TV, it's clear that Keaton Slovis only looks for Drake London and locks onto him, waiting for him to be open. Why can't coaches see this and break him out of this habit? What do you think should be done? So first off, do you think this is true? Second of all, if so, what should be done?
2: There you go. Yeah, I mean, I think I just mentioned a little bit a while ago that, you know, there's probably this... Uh, biased to to look at London just because he knows how effective going to London can be. And I mean, as far as changing it, I think that's just what he's seeing out on the field. That's what he wants to do. It's going, I'm sure in the, in the over the course of the season, it's going to burn a couple times because everyone knows he's going to be throwing to London. Maybe a linebacker jumps the route because he knows London's right there, going to pop it. Or, you know, maybe he tries to force one to London and double coverage and it gets popped up for an interception. So I think those things are gonna happen. You know, for all I know that, you know, maybe coaches have been saying in film room like, Hey, you had this guy open right here, but she went to London instead. Um, I just think it's the comfort factor.
3: Yeah. It's like that security blanket, right? And part of it is and I you know, and I feel like people ask us all off season like about Slovis, and it just felt like he had advanced. Like it felt like he moved on. Um, he was past any kind of arm issues that he had, any injury stuff. He feels, feels confident in his abilities. I'm not sure if he's confident in everyone that's around him yet. And for whatever reason, like just, he worked with all these guys in the offseason. It seemed like they said the right things, but when we saw it out in the field, it, it, something just was a little bit off. I don't, I don't know exactly what it is, but something, it obviously wasn't clicking the way you, you would have liked it to.
1: We got a question from Daniel who said, how is it that USC had zero quarterback sacks, but Slovis was consistently rushed and even sacked by a San San Jose State team?
3: Well, Um, go ahead. Two good San Jose State ends for sure. All-American. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's not like they're they're chumps back there, but I would say, I asked Clay Helton about this specifically, and um, he said, yeah, the numbers, I asked him today on the press conference, and he said the numbers weren't going to be there. They didn't get that, but he felt like they did impact Nick Starkle and the passing game, forcing him to get rid of the ball quickly. He was, you know, Clay Hilton said as soon as he put his back foot down, he was getting rid of the ball. It can be frustrating for a guy like, you know, Drake Jackson, you know, rushing the quarterback, Nick Figueroa, whatever, because he is getting it away quickly. That's one of the most experienced offensive lines in Division I football in front of him. So there are tons of starts. So there's that factor, too. It's a good offensive line. Um, but they did, Clay did feel like they they got after him. I mean, he was under 100 yards in the first quarter. most A bunch of his yards came garbage time at the end of the game. You know, he was only, only about 50% passing. It wasn't like he was a super efficient passer on the day. So they feel like they did their job. And they picked him off, uh, you know, twice. And Technically three times. Yeah, that Josh Jackson one looked like it was. And it looked like was the, clean. And even the other one that, like, the receiver looked like it almost caught. And, like, Josh was sort of on the ground. And it looked like it landed in his arm. Yeah. Never hit the ground. And he sort of just, like, let it roll off. I'm like if he just clutched it, like that probably would have been an interception too. I don't know. It was yeah, it was strange. But I, I feel like they did a pretty good job on him. I wasn't too concerned that there weren't sacks, but I thought they got a lot of pressures.
1: Yeah, overall, I feel like this defensive line has more consistent pressure like it's coming from a lot of guys versus just like a a Drake Jackson or a Leonard Williams it's not that one guy that you have to double team I feel like there's a lot of guys who could put pressure on opposing offenses offensive line and I saw I thought we saw a lot of bull rushes I thought the pocket collapsed pretty consistently against San Jose State so that was at least a positive sign there and Chris I know you talked to some defensive linemen who said they definitely want to fix that stat issue.
2: Yeah, I talked to uh, Jacob Lichtenstein, who, you know, who was very happy to be out on the football field. You know, he hasn't played in essentially two years. Injury issues two years ago, and then last season he opted out and came back in late, but didn't get to play. You know, he kind of stepped up when Nick Figueroa went down. Um, he's going to be a vital part of this defensive line unit. But, you know, I did ask him about the sacks. Like, you guys didn't get any sacks. I'm sure you and Vic Soto were not happy about that. And he said, yeah, we, we weren't we weren't happy with that result, but but... He kind of hinted like this coming week. Yeah, we got to fix that. We got to get some sacks. So I guess they're hoping or looking forward to, you know, correcting that this week at Stanford.
3: Yeah, they Stanford played two quarterbacks. Um, Taylor McKee and Jack West and, you know, neither of them were like great. We'll see what they're able to do. But Stanford usually blocks it pretty well at the offensive line, you know, the offensive line spots. But I think they're going to get some sacks this week.
1: Overall, living sides, I feel like for – the newness of the offensive line, I think they performed pretty well, given that you're starting Cortland Ford and Jonah Monheim. And I, I, we saw some mixing and matching more than I think I anticipated. Part of that was because Cortland Ford dislocated his finger. Um, but I thought overall it wasn't like, I think a lot of USC fans almost were kind of having low expectations given the pass, but I think that they did pretty, a uh, pretty solid job.
3: Yeah, and there was more offensive line subs than wide receivers subs <laughs> So cuz we got to see Justin Dietrich play, we got to see, you know, McKenzie came in. McKenzie came in and played. They moved Monheim from right to left when that happened. Um so yeah, there were I mean, they tried some stuff uh on the offensive line. I think that's I think that was a good way to do it. They picked their starting five, but they, they had some other guys that they wanted to get some run and they got some run too. And, you know, you, you let your veteran come in there and play some, you know, with Cortland Ford have the injury. So I think they feel pretty confident about all that stuff. So,
2: And not just a new O-line, but new coach too, new new simplified calls and stuff. So that was something they're, obviously they've been working on all practice, but you're not really going to know how it's going to go until you get it out on the field on Saturday against a, another opponent. Um, so I think that was a good first one, first
3: week one experience for them. You know, you just got to grow from there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what you guys feel like, but when you're talking about college, because you have the limited working, you know, the limited meetings and all that kind of stuff. If you have a defensive coordinator or some, any kind of coach that comes in and says, you know, the offensive line coaches here, like we simplified the calls. Like I'm never going to go, oh, that's probably a mistake. Like it's usually like, if you're like, I, I made the co- calls a lot more complicated and, and more in depth. I'm like, yeah, that's probably going to be a problem because these guys don't have a ton of time to go. So usually if you're like, hey, we made it simpler. I'm, a, I'm usually on board with that as like, being a good move. Especially with 18- to 22-year-olds. Yeah, like-
1: Shouts to Shotgun. <laughs> that's his line. Uh, and speaking of Shotgun, he's updating me in our Google Doc that uh, FSU was down 18 points and just tied the game with 40 seconds to go. Whoa. So,
3: Sorry, yeah, Coley.
1: Yeah. <laughs> righty, guys. Uh, let's wrap it up. Any final thoughts before we do? We'll be back on Thursday to preview USC's matchup against Stanford. Overall, USC... Takes the game one and zero to start the season. Mm. Not the best offensive performance, but the defense definitely had its moments. Final thoughts?
3: Yeah. So first, I might you guys go check out uscfootball.com. We put up fifteen videos since the game um, yeah. on YouTube and put it on the site. Tons of content. We've all been writing content. There's stuff going up like every hour. So make sure you go check all that stuff out. Uh, it was awesome to have Sue Cravens on the show on Thursday. We'll try to get him involved a little bit more. Hope you guys got to see him on the pregame. And he did a good job on the call-in show after the game. Uh, so I thought that was great. Love that Chris was stepping in for shotgun and the health and safety protocol. So we appreciate you. You did a great job. You great killed job, it. Chris. You know, you were like worried all the time. But we'll <laughs> see. It, you know, love it. But you know, hopefully the fans enjoyed the game. We got to, It was cool to see people fans in the Coliseum. back
1: in the stadium. All the players
3: That's talked about it. It was like, it was great to see that. The student section was like, there and force like that was great um so yeah i am just and i was exhausted today like it was just a long day yesterday i'm not in game shape like doing sure. all the all the stuff that you're doing for that so uh but it was good good overall and we appreciate all you guys listening and watching the show so thank you
1: chris rino final thoughts
2: you know i could have just gotten out here by not saying anything we could just fade it into d- to the end of time, but you <laughs> wanted to throw it to me. Yes, I did. Uh, you know, like he said.
1: Sh- not Shotgun, Chris.
2: <laughs> you just called me Shotgun. I
1: did. It's a habit <laughs> if I'm yelling at so much, a Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, great to have the fans out there. I'm excited for week two. I'm excited. We're in the season. Feels a little bit more normal, obviously. It was nice getting to talk to players like we normally do after a game. Uh, you know, calling them aside. Hey, can we talk to you? Yeah, that that's the nice part. Nice to have that again. And I miss Shotgun.
3: yeah we missed him too
2: she didn't realize what i said she she cut it.
1: i was i was reading all the the comments in the in the chat my helium boy i like reading everyone's comments all righty thanks for watching this show we'll be back on thursday to preview usc's matchup against stanford that's Ryan. that's chris i'm keely we'll see y'all next time bye
2: every sport has their big juicy controversy boxing has the mike tyson ear bite cycling has lance armstrong Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing
0: broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now.